0: 104.4:
1: the, the first radio. it was a box with a cat's whiskers. Well it's a little glass tube on top of the box, and to get the station, you had to twiddle a wire on this end here against a crystal in there, and that would change the station. But there was always a fight, because everybody wanted there was only one set of earphones.
2: This is Resonance 104.4 FM. My name's Jack Thurston and this is The Bike Show.
0: you say no, that girl is your sister but your mama don't know, oh, oh, oh is really shame and scandal in the family, oh, oh, oh is really shame and scandal
2: show this week we're going to be talking about shame and scandal not on a small island in the caribbean but in the world of professional bike racing Uh, from the uh, ongoing investigation of lance armstrong perhaps the world's most famous cyclist to uh, what's happening to alberto contador last year's tour de france winner and of course at the heart of it all the uci the governing body of cycling Well, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the bike show someone I think is now officially a bike show regular, Lionel Burney, cycling journalist of uh, Cycle Sport magazine and also Cycling Weekly. Welcome to the show, Lionel.
1: Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here.
2: Great. Well, you've been down at Cycling Weekly headquarters today, so I expect all the latest in the, uh, the scandals that are continuing to rock cycling. It's like Groundhog Day, isn't it?
1: Unfortunately it is. Every time I come on this show I'm, uh, I'm talking about the same things but just the names change and the dates and the, uh, the, the names of the substances but the, the general narrative is pretty much the same.
2: Well we we'll hope to um, bring some uh, more enlightenment and also fit in a little bit of time for talking about um, the cycle racing that might be going on later in the season. But before we get on to that, um, it's, it's rather a disturbing subject that I want to raise with you, and I want to ask you to do something as, as a listener to The Bike Show. It's two years um, this month since Ailey Cairns was run over and killed by a large lorry that had failed to see her as she was riding down Kensington High Street in broad daylight. Well, her family has been working with their local member of the European Parliament to try and get a European Union declaration signed that would require lorries, heavy goods vehicles, trucks to be fitted with special sensors and cameras that would essentially remove the blind spot that is the cause of so much conflict um, between these large vehicles on city streets and cyclists. You may know that 4,000 people, mostly unprotected road users such as cyclists, motorcyclists and pedestrians, are killed every year in Europe because of these blind spots. So something does desperately need to be done and your voice as a voter, as a citizen, can help make it happen. So the declaration needs to be signed by half of the 736 MEPs by the 16th of February. There's been a good campaign going in the UK. A lot of MEPs from the UK have signed. A few haven't. Um, In London, Charles Tannock, MEP, a Conservative MEP, I think, hasn't signed um, up to this motion. And all of the UKIP MEPs, as far as I'm aware, have refused to sign. So that's what you get if you elect a UKIP to the European Parliament. So you can write to your MEP and the best place to do that is write them.com if you're based in the UK. But if you're a listener who is not in the UK, it's probably even more essential that you do something on this because the UK is where this campaign has come from. Yet the votes that are needed, the signatures, the endorsements that are needed in the European Parliament must come from more countries than just the UK. So if you are living and voting outside of the UK, please, please write to your member of the European Parliament and urge them to sign this declaration. This declaration won't solve the problem of lorries killing cyclists, but it's something very real that can get things improved and can give us all a sense that we're doing something besides trying to ride safely on the streets ourselves, but we're doing something to help protect cyclists you can read more about the campaign and why it's needed um, and more instructions on how to um, address your MEP. The letter, the, the model letter, has been translated into all 23 languages of the European Union. And you can find out more about that, of course, on the internet by going to the website of the campaign, www.seemesaveme.com. That's seemesaveme.com. And if you needed any other Uh, reason to do it, then just think of the the poor cyclist last week who was run down and killed by a left-turning heavy goods vehicle up in Hackney and just get on the internet and write that letter. The incomparable Mavis Staples from the album Will Never Turn Back. Again, that website www.seemesaveme.com Lionel, so Professional Cycle Sport what a terrible state things things are state things are in. Let's try and pick things apart in the next twenty minutes or so. Um, I guess we should probably start with um, what happened in last year's Tour de France because that's all up in the air at the minute isn't it
1: it certainly is but i'd just like to say uh, in light of what you opened the show with um you know the, talking about uh, the, the issue of people cheating in a professional sport these are very wealthy individuals cheating in a professional sport pales into insignificance uh, compared to what you were talking about um earlier but uh, just to sort of switch and and treat the problem of doping and cycling seriously as a sort of separate standalone um yeah we 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 start a new season, uh, the two thousand and eleven season is just getting underway um, and we're faced with the the landscape of two thousand and ten still shifting. The Tour de France champion that we thought Alberto Contador, is no longer or should will be no longer once the full um, appeals process has, has uh, reached its conclusion and so we have a situation where the winner is likely to be the runner up and for anyone who spends, invests their time watching a sporting event, whether as in a professional capacity as I do or as a, as a fan on the sofa watching on TV or somebody who's gone to watch the race in France, it really is completely unsatisfactory that we can watch an event unfold and over three weeks and still not know the result definitively the following January.
2: So Contador has fallen foul of a doping test which found a very small but still illegal amount of a substance called clenbuterol in his bloodstream is that right or is it in his urine or does it not really matter it was in his
1: yeah it was in his urine um so yeah clenbuterol it's uh, it's not a naturally occurring substance um it's used uh, or it has been used um in the uh, meat production industry to build growth uh, you know build bulk um and keep fat contents down so in terms of an athlete, you can see where they would use it um, to build muscle but keep fat off. Um, I mean, the, the facts of the case are, are still to be determined, but the bottom line is uh, under the WADA code, the World Anti-Doping Agency Code, of strict liability, if it's in your system um, and it's a, not a naturally occurring substance like this, then it's, it should be a two-year ban. Now, the Spanish Federation have given them a one-year ban, so... The cycling governing body, the UCI, is likely to appeal that to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. and More lawyers will, lawyers will get involved, and whether it will end up being a two-year ban or a one-year ban, we will have to wait and see.
2: So why did the Spanish um, governing body give him a one-year ban when it, the rules say that he should have a two-year ban?
1: Well, because they're just applying their own version of justice, it seems. Um, they, Are they entitled they,
2: to do that? Do they have discretion?
1: No, not really, not under the wider code. No, a first offence, strict liability, should be a two-year suspension and that should be it. And it should be an open and shut case and um, Contador should be banned from the time that he stopped competing. So that would be uh, late late July last year and he should serve a two-year ban and miss this year's Tour de France and next year's.
2: he won't be able to ride in this year's Tour de France, that much seems clear. Mm -hmm. And have the organisers of the Tour de France... Declared him not to be the winner. Has, has his name been scrubbed off the trophy? Or not, not yet. Taken back the yellow no, jersey? No,
1: not yet. No, that that may all still be to come. Um, Contador is appealing and is talking about. You know, the, the, he's now trying to attack the WADA code and, and he's suggesting that the WADA code is outdated and that clenbuterol shouldn't be um, you know shouldn't be banned and it, and that's in, because in, that's
2: because it's easy to get it if you eat the wrong kind of meat that's come from a farm where they've been using it
1: well yeah but it, you, clenbuterol use in meat production in europe has been banned by the eu for a number of years at least a decade um
2: so you've got to be very unlucky to eat that steak on the rest day in the tour
1: de france you've got to be pretty unlucky and, and you're, lucky borderline you're, 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 uh, incompetent you, 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 you i think the the it really is from the the clutching clutching at straw school of excuse making. Um, You know, the the Spanish meat production industry was really unhappy with Contador because he's a huge figure. I mean, it's the worst possible advert for, um, uh, you know, for their meat. And uh, I mean, I had visions of sort of butchers and abattoir staff running after him with cleavers and what have you. But uh, it's an absolutely farcical situation. But to try and claim that because it is possible that clenbuterol could be in meat, particularly if it was coming from South America, perhaps or the Far East, where the rules on meat production aren't as tight. But I mean, it's, I mean, he it's, must be—he must be sighing
2: us a, a sigh of relief that he wasn't riding for the Linda McCartney vegetarian team, right? Because he wouldn't well, have had that excuse. That
1: would have been... Yeah, that would have been... Uh, yeah, would have been he'd, he'd have been done twice on that. He'd have been sacked for eating meat and uh, and, and the drugs would almost have been a, a side issue, I think. But, uh, I mean, this is it, isn't it? We're, we're like making jokes about somebody who has won the you know, what should be the most prestigious endurance sporting event in the world and nobody knows where they are. I mean, people who follow cycling for three weeks in July and, and, and know what I do for a living... You know, they, they've they gone beyond the sort of joking. Mm. Um,
2: OK, well, it's some, some gallows humour. Um, uh, but the interesting thing is, if, if you were watching the Tour de France last year, you cannot have failed to be mesmerised by this uh, mano a mano battle of the two climbers. Um, Andy Schleck, the younger of mm-hmm. two Schleck brothers who race for... Um, Luxembourg. Uh, well, they are Luxembourg. They raced for uh, Saxo Bank team. Last year, yeah. yeah, last year they will be racing for a Luxembourg-based team this year. Um, so th- th- that was the battle that set things alight. Those were clearly the best riders uh, mm-hmm. over overall, and they and they came first and second by quite a slim margin. Um, and now Andy Schleck is appearing to be moving towards being the champion last year in the way that Oscar Pereira was when Floyd Landis was stripped of the title in 2006. But he doesn't look to be very
1: cheerful about it, does he? peculiar, isn't it? I mean, if you you think of the physical um, toll it takes on you to race around France for three weeks and have this huge battle, uh, you know, mano a mano, as you say, um, and to really turn yourself inside out and be beaten by what was a very narrow margin... And then for it to turn out that your chief rival, the person who denied you this great victory, has failed a dope test, you would think that you'd be absolutely up in arms about this. It would be, you know, the hugest injustice done to you in, in you know, in his life so far. And yet he remains peculiar, peculiarly silent about it. He he hasn't really said that he feels he deserves to be now the tour champion. He hasn't really defended Contador, but nor has he condemned doping, so we're left in this kind of limbo land of almost nobody you know, Contador is still considered to be the champion by even the man that arguably you could say he's denied you know, he's robbed of a tour victory it's... How do you you explain it? Well, how do you explain it? I mean, you know, some have said does this indicate that they're all they're all up to the same thing, and they're, it, it's just a case of there by the grace of God whether you get caught or not. Now you know that's that's something that's a tricky area to get into legally. Um, but you, what is the other explanation? Is the is the explanation that basically um, they're all much of a muchness, they're all up to the same kind of thing, they all know they're playing the game and that uh, Contador is just unfortunate to be to be caught with this particular substance, I don't know the answer to that, Andy Schleck's certainly not saying I doubt he will uh, would answer the question um, if it was put to him so yeah, we're left in a situation where we have this great event and I can't think of another sport where you could go through, you know, you couldn't go through Wimbledon or the Football World Cup and get to the end and say well, great, that was great to watch but who won?
2: Well, one man who won't be racing in this year's 2011 Tour de France is Lance Armstrong, but that doesn't stop the controversy swirling around probably the world's most famous and certainly the world's most successful um, bicycle racer in the Tour de France. What's lit the flame under this um, uh, investigation, I suppose, is is the revelations made by his former teammate and um, also... Uh, champion in the Tour de France, subsequently uh, found, uh, found out to have doped, Floyd Landis, he conducted a very long and perhaps final ever interview about cycling and about his time in cycling with Paul Kimmage himself, um, a former professional cyclist who came clean about the, uh, the, the, the doping situation um, in a book that got him roundly... Um, vilified by the by the establishment in cycling. What did you make of that interview?
1: I thought it was an absolutely extraordinary read. I mean, it's a 30,000-word transcript of uh, Paul Kimmage's interview with Floyd Landis, um, in which Landis explains uh, an awful lot about himself and about his upbringing and about what it was about cycling that appealed to him and his journey into the sport and then his journey into the professional arm of the sport and then the lowering of barriers, um, which eventually led him to doping um, and also to a point where he didn't feel that doping was anything wrong because he felt it was absolutely endemic, that it was across the board um, and that if you wanted to get on in in the professional sport and if you wanted to win the Tour de France, he says that was what you had to do. And he
2: says that that was the price of admission into the very top elite league.
1: Effectively, yeah. He's painting a very a very clear picture of uh, a, an almost mafia-like existence at the, at the top of the sport where everybody's looking after each other and everybody's looking after themselves and uh, the rules don't apply to everybody but are selectively applied. And he feels, uh, and again, this is, this is his words, um, yeah, he feels that he was... Uh, brought crashing down to earth because his face didn't fit and it's an it is an extraordinary interview um it's not one that the mainstream media uh with you know um, libel lawyers to uh, to satisfy before publication would have been able to publish so it's it Saw the light of day on a um, on a blog based in America, um, but I know that Paul Kimmage wanted that interview to get out there because he spent that time face to face with Floyd and listened to what he had to say and came away with a feeling that this was a, a genuine picture of, the, of of the situation Floyd found himself in
2: and you spent some time with Paul Kimmage recently in person what, what What was he feeling like about what was his view on cycling after having done that marathon interview
1: well, I think uh, in 2008, he spent the whole tour with the Garmin team and, and he admitted after spending the time behind closed doors with that particular team, which was um, running itself on a very clean basis and and uh, was trying to roll back the frontiers and, and, and say that we are going to operate within very strict parameters of cleanliness. Uh, Paul's enthusiasm for a sport, which uh, it's fair to say he's had a love-hate relationship with, he was back to it he was back in love with it again he was able to see the the good in um in certain performances and he was able to pick out the the bright spots but i think all that changed when armstrong came back because he knows and like his uh, compatriot david walsh they've done enough investigating of uh, the allegations into armstrong against armstrong over the years that that really uh and i have to say i'm minded to agree with them that as soon as armstrong came back it just everything just went back to how it was before and and really the fight against doping which had been very very strong and quite strident just melted away overnight and I think that is the source of Kimmage's frustration now and and I think like you say that was Landis's final interview I think uh, I can't speak for Paul Kimmage but uh, he's given me the impression that you know he's ready to wash his hands of it.
2: Well, the federal investigation of Lance Armstrong um, continues in the hands of Jeff Nowitzki, who's a federal investigator who brought Marion Jones, this the uh, sprinter, to justice for her doping misdemeanors. Um, and there have been a, a number of um, reports, and I think Sports Illustrated did the most recent one, where there are a couple of um, newspapers who seem to have gotten onto this story. And we are uh, that the, the Armstrong defense. Um, such as it is, is, um, is doing the rounds. And I went on the internet to find out, you know, probably the best presentation of the Armstrong defence. And let's have a listen to that now.
3: You know what? I'm tired of people even telling me about Lance Armstrong and drugs. It's like, come on, man. He rides a bike thousands of miles around France as a sport. Anybody that's from the hood know who rides bikes everywhere? Crackheads. Or people that do drugs. So, like, if you riding a bike for a sport and you riding it a thousand miles around France, you probably are doing drugs. You're going to have to do drugs. matter of fact, I hope you are doing drugs. Because if you're doing that stuff sober, something wrongs with you. So, I think a lot of people need to get off Lance Lance Armstrong's back. You know, let him do him. He retired now. He won. Get over it, man. He's American. I'm American. What do Americans do? We do drugs. Quit being ignorant, man. And I'm not being ignorant. It's real talk. I don't care about nothing else, man. Like, he beat cancer. Good for him, man. And I'm not trying to diss cancer people. Nothing like that. But good for Les Armstrong. I'm glad he did beat that. But let's be real. The dude rode a bike. He needs drugs. He needs something to calm him down or to make him focus on riding a bike. Because if he did it sober, he'd probably say, Why the f*** am I riding this f***ing bike? And get off the bike. So the drugs probably calmed that down I was like, you know what, riding a bike is a good thing. Riding a bike will make you better. People would love you if you ride a bike. And that's the drugs talking. I think everybody that rides a bike for a sport is actually on drugs. Anybody that rides a bike, period, is probably on drugs. Unless you're a kid. Like, I rode bikes everywhere as a kid. Like, if you're not a kid and you're riding a bike, then you're basically on drugs. You know what I'm saying? You have to use drugs to make you want to ride a bike. Because, like, why not get a car? Even the delivery people that ride bikes, most of them is drug heads. Let's be real. Anybody you ever seen riding a bike regular, you look at them like, dang, that dude is on some shit. Why are they riding a bike on the freeway? Why are they riding a bike stopping at a red light? It's like they own drugs. So while people keep saying Lance Armstrong did drugs, it's like, duh. I hope he did, cause if it comes out he won all them races sober, something wrong with him. Cause why would you ride a bike sober, for thousands of miles, five and six, seven days, for hours? It's like, come on, man. Dude had to do drugs. Let's just be real. Lance Armstrong, you the best American that I ever seen, because. You do drugs, ride bikes, and don't care what people think. And that's all i got to say about that.
2: Well, there we have it. Um, You're listening to The Bike Show here on Resonance 104.4 FM with me, Jack Thurston, and Lionel Burney, special guest in the studio this week. Lionel Burney, a cycling journalist, writes for uh, Cycling Weekly and Cycle Sport magazine. What's the future for Lance Armstrong? He's not going to be racing a, a whole lot more, is he?
1: Well, he's, uh, he's certainly not going to be doing the Tour de France but there is a rumour that he he he'll do the Tour of California, but that will all depend on how far the investigation has, uh, has moved. I mean, we're it, depending on who you believe, who you listen to, uh, there could be indictments at some point in the next month or so.
2: And has, has he begun to feel the pinch in terms of commercial sponsorship and that kind of thing, or, or has that not really happened yet?
1: It's difficult to say. Certainly uh, the the fact that the mainstream media in the US have, have turned completely. Uh, the New York Times and the Sports Illustrated and Wall Street Journal articles have been really quite damning uh, for his public, you know, uh, the, the people's perception of him as a person. Um, and when when his public profile goes down, the commercial sponsorships will fall off as well, I'd imagine.
2: One of the things I found very interesting in the Landis interview was um, the indictment that he makes against the UCI, which is the governing body of cycling. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, the UCI is supposed to be governing the sport, um, but like a lot of sports governing bodies, it's hidden away in Switzerland where it's basically running itself. uh, It's got complete autonomy. It's responsible uh, or answerable to the IOC, which is another... The
2: Olympic Committee. The
1: the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, which is another secretive organisation which has got a long history of uh, allegations of, of... improper conduct.
2: I mean, the allegations are pretty stark in the interview. They are allegations of having covered up a positive dope test of Lance Armstrong, having taken bribes, and as well as being administratively incompetent, essentially being corrupt. I mean, what is going on in this organisation? Those are the kind of accusations that, that, that are coming week by week, month by month.
1: Well, that is exactly what we want to know. What is going on? I mean, let's remember Lance Armstrong made a donation, in inverted commas, to the UCI of uh, $100,000, some say $500,000. You know, we, this is an organisation that wouldn't know uh, conflict of interest if it if it was sat opposite them eating directly from their own plate you know they really they really have no idea about uh, that, that, that there are certain things that should just not go on I mean the president of the UCI Pat McQuaid his son is an agent represents riders that should not be happening okay you know
2: well I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about what should happen to the UCI in Lionel's columns and um, we've hard, we've run out of time before talking about the future um, years racing and um, what you I mean in 10 seconds what are you looking forward to this year?
1: I'm looking forward to a Tour de France where we can all get to Paris and, uh, and, and salute the winner with a glass of champagne.
2: Well, very good. And let's hope that winner stays the winner. Uh, that's all from me and from Lionel Burney on the bike show this week. Next up is One Life Left. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye.
3: KPR Radio Station Classic for classic rock and classic funk. That's quite a mix, but it's great for your ears. Listen up. You're going to stay with us. We're going to have all the hits and all the... Oh. Imagine that. Imagine a radio station. Resonance 104.4 FM.